Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to Genesis chapter 17 and Acts chapter 1. We're going to pick up in Acts where we left off. We're going to start in Genesis 17 in a Bible study that I've entitled, How Do I Wait on the Lord? Because that is a position that we are in from time to time. I mean, I think if, if we share anything in common across the board is that every true believer is waiting on God for something waiting on God for him to fulfill a promise, waiting on God for him to reconcile family, waiting on God for a call to come through or test results or waiting on God to bring reconciliation and strength and hope and waiting on God for a word. I mean, you can, do, you can list out the many different things that you're waiting on God for, but the question is, how do I wait on God? How do I wait on the Lord? It's become a Christian cliche, I know, but it's not. Waiting on the Lord is a beautiful gift from God to take that position, to take that posture of trusting in God while I'm waiting for this situation to resolve, while I'm waiting for that word to come. It's such a beneficial thing. You can jot it down in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 29. Listen to this promise. It's so beautiful. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But listen, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Waiting on the Lord is so beneficial. It gives strength. It gives this freedom. It gives to us this endurance to run and not be weary and even walk in the smaller things and not faint. I have the privilege today to declare to you that God is at work in your waiting. He's at work while you're waiting on Him. And there are things that we can do and choices we can make that will make us more usable in the time of waiting and not less. What a promise, but how hard it can be to wait on the Lord to wait for his word to come to pass. We often fall into the trap that Abraham and Sarah did. Remember the story? God gave them a a tremendous promise that they would have a son, a promised son. A nation would come out of him. The only thing was is they were very old in age. Their, Their bodies were done and had gone long past that season of childbearing. The the insides, the equipment wasn't working. It didn't happen. It's not gonna happen in the physical realm. And so they took the promise of God, they received the promise of God, but then they tried to match it with their own abilities. And and instead of waiting on God, instead of waiting, Sarah comes up with this idea, hey, there's a cultural thing that happens. If I can't conceive for you, and God said I'm gonna have a kid and I can't do it, culturally it was acceptable for the servant of the house, the handmaiden, to produce a seed, to produce a child. So here it is, here it is, Abraham. Take Hagar, our servant, and you can go into her and she can have the child and that child will be the promise. What happened? Hagar did give birth to a young boy named Ishmael. And here in chapter 17, notice with me in verse 17, Abraham does what often we do. We don't want to be quick to judge this couple because they represent us in so many ways. 
Notice in verse 17, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. He says, God, accept what we have done. It's impossible. There's no need to wait. There's no need to wait for your promise. It's impossible. Look at me. Look at my wife. What you have said just can't happen. So so we've made it happen for you. Just accept Ishmael. This can be the promise. We don't have to wait. And so tired of waiting and incredibly impatient, they conceive a child of their own doing. And that's our human nature. Our human nature is to not believe God, to not trust his promise, to not wait for him, and then to jump in and fix it ourselves and take care of it. And we say, here you go, God, we've we've done it for you. If you haven't already, you need to memorize this verse, Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six. We need to learn this and live it out day by day. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge God in all your ways and he'll direct your paths. That posture and position of waiting. You know, our own understanding, our own education, all of our memories, our vast experience, that's not what God would have you to lean on. I mean, God is in his omnipotence and in his omniscience. Two words that simply speak of his all, being all-powerful and all-knowing. We don't compare. We will never rise to that. God wants us walking and living by faith, trusting him. And when he says wait, church, he means wait. When, when you are, in, are given instruction to wait, God means wait. He doesn't want you to create an Ishmael and offer that up as, here's your promise. No, God has the power to perform his promises for you. And lest we judge Abraham and Sarah, we have to consider how often have we tried to help God out a little. (laughs) It's like, oh, look at you. No, no, how about you? How often have we tried to help God out just a little, jumping in, where we come to that place where impatience overtakes us and we're unwilling to wait. So the question of today before us in our text in chapter one of Acts is, well, then how do I wait on the Lord? How can I be better? in walking in the patience of God, waiting for God to act. In Psalm 46.10, it says, be still. And that could just be a word for someone today. The answer to your prayer is be still and know that I am God. You know, in times of great grief, in times of great difficulty, in times of great stress and anxiety, when fear grips you, that is the worst time to make big decisions. That that is the worst time to go to and fro trying to figure out what's happening. It's the best time to be still and know that he is God. Remember your relationship with him. It always, it always, it always works best when your vertical relationship with God is in order. Your vertical really, like I'm one, I'm abiding in Christ, receiving his strength so that then my horizontal life will be lived out to the degree of my vertical life. Be still and know that I am God. 
I will be exalted among the nations, and I will be exalted in the earth. With that in mind, pick up with me where we left off in Acts chapter 1, verse 9. Now, when he, speaking of Jesus, had spoken these things, the promise that he just shared in verse 8, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Don't miss the emotion of the moment. The, the disciples, the followers of Christ, it has been a very difficult, let's say two months for them. Very challenging. They, they just many days prior saw their best friend beat, arrested, lied about, beaten, crucified, buried, and, and for a few days wondering if they had made a wrong decision with their life. On top of that, they ran away from him. Peter denied him. And, and then Jesus rises again from the dead. So they go from low to high. Oh, he's back. And for 40 days, he's hanging out with them, ministering to them, encouraging them, restoring them. And now he gives them a promise. There's going to be power. It's going to be amazing. Just wait in Jerusalem. Just wait. Don't go anywhere. Just wait. And he says in verse 8, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. Now, we have studied this already because we know with chapter 2 what's going to happen. They don't know anything. They're living life day by day. This is where they're at. They just got this exciting promise. You're going to receive power. Don't leave. But, but those of you that like more information, you know how they would be feeling. Well, okay, I'll, I'll wait, but, but when's it going to happen? Where's it going to happen? How am I going to know? How, how long will I have to wait? And those of you that like all that information, Jesus said, no. I just want you to wait. I'm not telling you anything else. Oh, and by the way, I want you to wait, and then I'm going to leave you. And that's where they're at. He ascends into heaven. This is for you. You want to circle the word uh, in verse 9. Uh, just to remind you of this, when it says he was taken up, this is what is often referred to as the ascension of Christ. He's ascending into heaven. So theologically, you call it the ascension, but here it's just described, he's taken up. This will be the last time they have any physical contact with Jesus. They, they won't have him around anymore. And we don't want to miss the emotion. They, they are in a position, they don't know the future. All they have is the word. They don't know. They don't know what's going to happen. I mean, in my Bible, the promise is on this side of the Bible, and the, the fulfillment is on the very next page. They, they don't have that privilege. Just like you and me. I don't know how things are going to end in my life. I don't know how some of the things I'm... I don't know how they're going to end. They could end very, very well, or they could end very, very poorly, but I don't know. All I know is I have today to live. I need to be faithful today. I need to cling to the promises of God each and every day that I don't see them fulfilled. Each and every day that I don't see it happen. Each and every day where things seem to get worse or things seem to get harder or just when you thought it was at the worst, it gets worse and it gets worse. And I'd say, no, 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 I need to wait on Lord. And so in our waiting, we learn some things from their lives that will greatly help us in the emotional upheaval, in the challenges that we face as we wait on the Lord. Number one, we're going to use different parts of the body to remember different places that we're waiting. So the first one is eyes. 
You can jot down in your notes, eyes. Our eyes, while you're waiting on the Lord, number one, our eyes need to remain on Jesus. Again, another cliche, right? And cliches, unfortunately, they get so easily dismissed, but haven't you found it to be true that cliches of Christianity are actually some of the most powerful truths to live by? So as you're waiting on the Lord, keep your eyes on him. And what does that mean exactly? It's like, what, what does that mean? We're not going to stand here like them and look up and see him ascend. No, no, no. In a very spiritual way, you're, when, you, when you use the phrase, keep your eyes on the Lord, what we're saying is remain in a position where he is the central focus of your life. Like, like when you're driving, you're teaching your kids how to drive, you keep your eyes on the road, keep your eyes on, well, what do you mean? You mean exactly what it says. You, you have a, a, a multi-thousand pound vehicle that you have the wheels to watch the road. Why? Because the car will follow your eyes. If your eyes divert to the right or to the left or what some people are doing now on their phones, texting and doing whatever they're doing now, your eyes, they need to be on the road when you're driving. Well, even more so, your eyes, well, my focus, my attention, especially in times when I'm waiting, need to be on the Lord. Now, we went, to this, we went through this in depth when we studied verse by verse in Hebrews. So I encourage you to pick up the study in Hebrews chapter 12, but let me read to you what it says in verse 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Looking unto Jesus. Now this phrase back in, the, in verse 10 of Acts chapter 1, you can circle that phrase, looked steadfastly. The phrase in the original language speaks of staring. Staring. You, you will not avert your eyes. I'm certain if we had an opportunity to give testimony on this today, we would hear, if I asked the question, how many of you got your eyes off the Lord and you paid a high price for it? There'd be lines on both sides of the stage saying, this is what happened. I got so caught up in it. I was wrestling with it and, and my eyes got off to the circumstance. And I, my eyes got off to a person. My, got, my eyes got off to anxiety, to worry. And it just made things worse. While you're waiting on God, like these guys, and they're, they're in a crisis moment right now. It, they're, they're just awestruck, of course. They're seeing something supernatural, the ascension of Christ into heaven. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. We won't, we'll never see the ascension of Christ into heaven, but I'm praying that we see his soon return. <laughs> just like the, like the angels promised, he's coming again. The same way he left, he's coming just like that. Every eye will see him, the Bible says. But in our day-to-day -day life, this would be such a temptation to fall back into discouragement, just like the first time they lost Jesus. And that's not their choice. They looked steadfastly. Instead of running, instead of frowning, their attention was not on themselves anymore, but on Jesus. Which bring, this section brings us to number two. And this I would describe as your desires. So your eyes are on the Lord. Your desires, well, your desire needs to be expecting Jesus. So you're watching him, you're staring at him, you're focused upon him. Now the next thought is right here in verse 11 where these two men in white apparel, which I believe are angels, they say, men of Galilee, why are you standing up gazing into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So, so the idea here is that as you are waiting on the Lord, your desire needs to be an expectation of the soon return of Jesus. 
Jesus Christ promised to return, and he will. We believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And as we're staring, we also need to be living. There is life to be lived as we await the soon return of the Lord. And here's where it kind of gets into how we get off when we're waiting on the Lord. One of the frustrating parts of waiting on God, waiting for a situation to resolve, waiting for an answer to prayer, waiting for an open door, waiting for a closed door, waiting for confirmation, all of that, part of it is impatience. And when impatience grips our heart, we strive for anything that will alleviate the nervousness of impatience. And here's where, here's where a great mistake is made. In our waiting, we're waiting for the wrong things. We're waiting for the situation. We're waiting for the answer. We're wait. When the Bible is very clear that for here the angels gave direction, you need to be in a position of waiting for the Lord, not the situations. Live all of your life with the banner of his soon return as it works in your life. It's a blessed hope, the Bible says. It's a motivating help, the Bible says. There's an expectancy to live out your life waiting for his soon return. Let me show you what I mean. Turn over to Luke chapter 19, would you? That's to the left, Luke chapter 19. As Jesus is teaching on the kingdom of God, he gives insight about this certain nobleman, which represents him. And as he shares this, listen to what he says. Luke chapter 19 in verse 11. Now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God should appear immediately. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom, that happened, and to return. Then he says, he called 10 of his servants delivered to them 10 minas, or basically money, 10 minas, and said to them, do business till I come. In the old King James, they translated this, occupy until I come. And it is true that God has left us on the earth to do business until his return. He, he has left us on the earth to occupy that space of our lives as the church, interfacing with people's lives, and sharing the love of Jesus in practical ways. We're to do business until he comes, to live expectantly for the return of Jesus Christ. And if you find yourself waiting for anything other than the return of Christ, you will become frustrated and disappointed. Keep your eyes on him and just know he's coming back. Why is that so important? Well, that's the greatest promise that he gave to us. Apart from the forgiveness of your sins, his soon return where every wrong is made right, where the consummation of human history will take place, like the promises of God, that the return of Christ, like we read today. I mean, think of this. Think of this, church, just in your own circumstance. There's some heavy things among us, I know. I want you to think of the psalm we read. Listen to what David says when he's surrounded by all these enemies, all these people taking advantage of him, coming against him, wanting to kill him. I mean, it's a heavy psalm. Sometimes you're reading the psalms and you're like, this is in the Bible, man. And it sounds like your life. It's like, man, this is in the Bible. This is exactly what I'm feeling. It's right here. And I've learned how to walk with David, to trust in him no matter what. And what we learn in verse 15, remember David's hope at the end was, wasn't for the people. He prayed for the people. He prayed for the situations. He brought them. But his hope was, listen, as for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake 
in your likeness. That's where satisfaction comes, in the presence of God, when we are in the eternal state, when the Lord returns. Until then, we're touched and tainted by sin and the imperfection of this world, and waiting for anything or anyone other than Jesus is just going to leave us disappointed. And certainly there's disappointment to share among us as we've gotten our eyes off the Lord and our desires in different ways. Notice verse 12 now. Then they returned. They were in Bethany. They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, a couple miles away. It's a, a, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered, they went into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So after a short walk to Jerusalem, they go into the upper room, which many believe was, was a room near the temple mount in, in the temple area, the temple mount area. Also, many scholars believe this was the same upper room where the Last Supper took place. Those final words and communion was instituted. They come back to that familiar place. They come back together, which is a lot like what we do every week. We come, what's the significance? Why do I go to church? Well, not because you have to, but because you get to. That's the natural place to go to the place where, man, great things have happened, where the Lord has spoken to me, where I've sung together, where I'm going to be together with the saints. That's what they're doing here. And it's a good thing to be together with the church. And because we get to do it so much, we take it for granted. But it's a good thing to be together. And that's what, they, that's what it says here in verse 14. They all continued, which brings us to number three. How do we wait on the Lord? Number three, I want you to refer not to, just to your eyes and your desires, your emotions, but now thirdly, I want you to remember your feet. And when you remember your feet, I want you to remember while you're waiting, go forward in your Christian life. Go forward. Continue going forward. Continue living your life. Continue. Sometimes we think that waiting on the Lord means that everything around us must stop, but that's not true. God has you waiting in one area, but not all areas. And so as you're waiting on God, there is that renewal of strength to be faithful where you are. And that's God's will for your life today, to be faithful or to come back to faithfulness of where you are, no matter how hard the situation is. Be faithful. Remember while you're waiting, it's not inactivity or idleness. It's not pulling away or pulling back, but rather they are continuing. Notice in verse 14, they're continuing in one accord. That This waiting is a place of unity, which brings us to number four. I want you to think of your heart and the seat of your emotions. While you're waiting on the Lord, you don't just continue living life and live faithfully, but fourthly, you are in community and oneness and unity with other believers. Unity is so vital for your spiritual health that they use the phrase here, one accord, but you could write, again, circle that phrase, one accord, you could write next to it, unanimous. The Greek word here speaks of a unanimous agreement among the believers while they're waiting. Now, I want you to use your holy imagination for a moment and just think about this. What a beautiful thing it is. Think about how, what, what beautiful thing it is when the church is unified. The church, our church, unified. 
moving forward, not fighting one another, not gossiping, not going at each other, not complaining, not murmuring, but unified in the cause of Christ on the earth. Don't you think that would get the world's attention, a unified church? But never in the history of my ministry I've ever seen the church so divided. And it speaks volumes to a watching world. Let me say for our church family in the years that we've been here, we have experienced a very sweet unity in this church. We've had some seasons, we've had some difficulties, we've had some issues that we've walked through by faith, but in a general sense, I have pastors all around the country, friends that are serving in the United States, around the world, that have not experienced the kind of unity in their church that we have been blessed with. Even as difficulties come up, we seek to resolve them in the Lord, in humility, in repentance. But not every church enjoys that, and the broader church of Christ right now is very divided, extremely, very selfish and self-centered in their approach to following Christ, valuing and exalting opinions above the word of God, valuing and exalting the social pressures above the word of God, and it's just so much fighting, so much infighting, because churches and families and friendships are always wrecked by division. This is the weapon. This is the go-to weapon of the devil to get you divided. Divided in heart, divided in mind, being upset, being unwilling, being rigid, inflexible, hard-hearted. The devil uses it against us all the time. I appreciate the the unity that we've experienced here, but I'm asking you to pray for more. I'm asking you to pray for more. I'm asking you that when you pray over a meal, when you pray with your kids before they go to bed, when you have your own personal prayers, you pray as a married couple, when you pray, please add to your request. Add something like this. And Father, we ask you to bless Calvary Chapel. And we're asking you to bring more unity. Within Calvary Chapel, our bigger family of churches, it's a, there's a lot of division in our family of churches. It's, a, it's all a mess. And then, and then think of your own church family. And then when you drive through town and you're just kind of going over here and you see the McDonald's over there and you see the Burger King and you see the church, pray for that church. Pray for the leadership there. Pray, pray that there would be a sense, if the church is off and they're into all bad doctrine, then pray they would repent. If, if they've got some kind of uh, behavior, you know, you know you have friends that go to that church and you hear stuff, pray that you don't hear it anymore. Pray for the churches like the world, the, the, you know, because what's the purpose of unity? It's not just so we can get along. It's this, so that when we get along, we will have a more unified front and example of the love of God that changes heart to a world that is more fractured than the church. Well, you know, we have our issues. We're human. We're t- you know, we've got our problems. We, we, we definitely, true, the church does. But the world is far worse, far more challenging. And live in the spirit, church. Pray for, pray for the peace and the blessing of God upon Calvary Chapel, upon our fellowship here. Pray that God would use us in these last days. Why? Because a divided church is a weak church. A divided marriage is a weak marriage. A divided heart is a weak person. We don't want to be divided. We want to be unified. Can I just show you a scripture? Turn over to Philippians chapter 1. This is not unique to our generation. Throughout the ages, division has been a tool 
Again, right now in the early church, they're about as, as unified as they'll ever be because later on, even in the book of Acts, by the time you get to Acts chapter 15, there was some serious disagreement in the church. But the way they handled it, you know how it ended? In unity. It's so good. So it's not like disagreements won't come or we're not going to see every single thing eye to eye. We're so different. But when we yield ourselves to the Spirit and we think of others more highly than ourselves, unity is just around the corner. You can read ahead in Acts 15 and see how they handled it. It's beautiful. But notice this in chapter 1 of Philippians, verse 27. Again, it's one of those verses, again, you step back and go, yeah, this is in the Bible. This is for us today. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast, notice, in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, together. How does this apply in waiting? Well, first of all, when you're waiting on the Lord, be sure to continue to be in fellowship with other believers. Because waiting, a prolonged time of waiting, usually leads to disappointment, frustration, anger, and eventually bitterness. You become super bitter. And then a bitter person doesn't want to be around other people that aren't bitter. And so they kind of stay away. And then the people that are close to the bitter person, they see and recognize the bitterness in you, and then they stop dropping off. And you go, oh, here it is. Nobody likes me anymore. Nobody cares. The church doesn't care. Actually, that's probably not what's happening. What's probably happening is your bitterness is infecting others and they've had enough of it. And so they're going to step back for a little while and pray for you, asking God to deal with that. Because the Bible says when a root of bitterness grows up and takes root in your life, you defile those that are around you. And, and it's just a recipe for disaster. So, so you're not in fellowship anymore. You're not in church anymore. You're mad at the people that are closest to you. You're upset. You're churning on it because now, you know, and if you're waiting on God for some particular, then you start getting mad at God and then you have no, no outlet. And before you know it, you're not in fellowship. So it's time. Like today, you might even be in that position, like your first step, your first step back. And I commend you for that. I commend you. You're, like you're in, you're still kind of in a bad attitude and you don't need to clean up all your bad attitude to be in fellowship. Just come on act. The Holy Spirit will deal with you. He'll minister to you. You know, well, yeah, I'm here, but I still don't want to be here. That's all right. You don't have to want to be here. We're not going to let you go, but you don't have to want to be here. It's all right. Well, you know, and I'll be here, but I won't sing. That's all right. Everyone around you will sing, and it'll minister to you. Well, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to play Angry Birds. Well, angry guy, angry birds, I get it. I'm still going to teach you. The Holy Spirit's still going to use his word. It's still going to, so it's okay. As you work through your thing, don't, don't, don't separate but instead, do what they do here. They continued with one accord. And instead of fighting against one another, we need to fight with each other for the unity of the faith. Someone once said that, and I quote, the continuous and widespread fragmentation of the church has been the scandal of the ages. It has been Satan's master strategy. The sin of disunity probably has caused more souls to be lost than all other sins combined, end quote. And as we wait on the Lord, our hearts need to be in tune with our fellowship of believers in unity. Not isolating ourselves, but just coming and casting our cares upon the Lord because he cares for us. 
In Proverbs 18, verse 1, it says, A man that isolates himself seeks his own desire, and he rages against all wise judgment. And we just share a community together. That will be unfolding as we study through Acts as well. There's a beautiful community together with the saints. So eyes looking to Jesus, our desires expecting him. How, how is it that we respond, but rather we have our feet moving forward, living out our lives, even though there are disappointing times. Our hearts need to be striving for unity together. And then finally, notice as they're in verse 14, they're in one accord. Notice where they're doing. They're praying together. And so with our mouths, number five, we need to be praying and increasing our prayer life. This isn't meant to be a guilt trip or anything. It's just, man, the more we pray, the more in the presence of the Lord we are. The more our faith is built up. I would put it this way. When you're waiting on the Lord, you should make this decision. You should talk to God about it more than you talk to other people about it. You should talk to God about it more than other people. Because who knows, the people, you know, you, 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 your story, your story, your story, but eventually, like, it's not your story, it's his story. What is God doing in your life? How have you grown? What is he doing, even in the tears and the pain? Look at the faithfulness of God. God is faithful and utterly reliable in every way. He's with you now, working while you're waiting. And one of the ways to draw near to God is through prayer. And one of the ways to see unity grow is through prayer, seeking the Lord together. When you're ministering to one another, adopt this phrase and say, in, in the, you know, somebody comes to complain to you, just say, hey, let's pray. Somebody has some issue, let, let's pray. You know, this, is a, this heavy burden's going on in my life. Well, we need to pray. And then pray right then. It's better to say, let's pray and do it than to say, well, I will pray for you and forget about it. It just puts you in an awkward position because the next time you see the brother, you avoid the brother, you avoid the sister because you know they're going to say, thank you for praying for me. And now you have a temptation to be a hypocrite. Oh yeah, I pray for you. But in, in your heart, you know you forgot. Instead of just saying, you know what? I forgot. I'm so sorry. Let's pray right now. I'm not going to say I'm going to pray anymore. I'm just going to do it right then and there. And then I'm going to pray that the Lord will bring you to remembrance and I'll pray for you then. It's a good thing to adopt this phrase, let's pray. And to those that might be in a different circle of friendship with you, maybe a coworker or a boss, here's another question that you can lead up to as you see something's going on. I mean, even in the church, just you're looking at someone, sometimes you can watch people walk in and everything that they've been going through all week is on their face. It's in their eyes. I mean, you could see it where, where you can come alongside and it might be awkward, but it's only awkward till it's not. Here's another phrase to adopt. Is there anything that I can be praying for you about? How can I pray for you today? Most of the time, people will answer some affirmative thing to that question. Most of the time. There's the occasion person, I don't believe in God. I don't want you to pray for me. Okay, I respect that. I'll pray for you anyway, but I respect that because I love you. Well, why do you pray for a God I don't believe in? You know, because I love you, and I care for you. And so praying is important together. Pray alone. Pray for your church. Pray for your pastors, your families. Pray for the people you sit next to. Like, the more you pray, the more the, you know, praying, that talking to God also involves listening to God. So I like to pray with an open Bible. I like to pray during my Devo. It's part of my Devo time. Just praying through what I'm reading. Praying what God's saying. God, I see what you're saying, but what are you saying to me? What do you want to accomplish in my life? 
because there are going to be those, what I call those in-between times, where God gives you a promise, and then the fulfillment hasn't come, and you just got all that time of in-between. And as we get older in life, for some of you that are younger, you'll learn this soon enough. As you get older in life, you just see that things aren't so resolved so quickly. And then when they're not resolved so quickly, things in our lives seem to stack up. And that's where the weights and the burdens come on our shoulders, where they're just a stack of things. We've got this issue over here, and we've got this issue over there, and you, you know, there are things happening with your kids you would never thought of when you were raising them at five years old. But now that they're 18, now it's another issue. It's another thing. And you know, when you got married, you never thought that divorce papers would be on your desk. You never thought you'd have to be hiring an attorney to handle that person that's trying to sue you. You never knew that you would file for bankruptcy. You never thought that when you first started attending church that now your spouse is going to a different church. You would never know that. And so you're waiting for God to act. And you're waiting for God to answer. But ultimately, we've learned in the in-between times, we're just waiting for the Lord himself, enjoying relationship with him, trusting him with our lives. We're all broken. We're all limping along. I picked up a new book yesterday. The title caught my attention, but it was also written by someone that I respect. His name is Pastor John Wimber. He's in, uh, with the Lord right now, but he was the man that helped create the vineyard movement, the vineyard, of, vineyard movement of churches and the title of the book was just what caught my eye. And the title was, Never Trust a Leader Without a Limp. And I thought, and it's a book about some sayings of him, but that particular one, I know what he's saying. He's like, hey, you know what? The leadership around you needs to be living the same life you're living. And there's going to be hurt and pain among all of us. I mean, who wants to limp? We all want to go, go through life without any pain, without any suffering. But it's the pain and suffering that develops you into the men and women that he wants you to be. And it's okay if you're limping today. I got a text in between services. One of the brothers said, yeah, I'm not limping. I'm in a wheelchair. Yeah, the brothers in the wheelchairs, we admire you. Because there you are still going forward, serving the Lord, loving Jesus. Just knowing that, yeah, life is hard and it's a little bit harder for you than it is for us. But together we get to worship Jesus and we get to wait. It's a privilege to wait on the Lord because not everybody waits on the Lord. Not everyone today has a relationship with Jesus. That I could be describing your life. I'm talking to our church today from the Bible about waiting on God, but here you are today without a relationship with him. It makes me sad because where are you going to turn for help? Do you really think alcohol is going to give you all that? you think you're really going to be satisfied when you wake up in your own vomit? Is that where satisfaction comes? You know, smoking pot, now it's legal. Oh, you know what? That's where satisfaction comes. Hey, whatever you're thinking right now, at a low moment, you would tell me, this is not living life. I don't like my life. That's why you keep drinking. That's why you keep smoking. That's why you keep going from person to person, why broken relationships are, are something that not, not only have you experienced, but they're like, you look at the failures and the pains of life, and would you just admit today, you don't have to admit it to me, but would you just admit today that the root source of that is not the way you were raised, it's not the community you grew up in, it's because you've heard about the love of God and you resist Him. Because if there's one testimony in this whole room of God being able to save someone that was really perceived as being unsavable, 
I'm standing before you today. God transforming a life and then many lives after that. You're going to learn that in Acts chapter 9 when we get to this testimony of Saul. If you met Saul, if he walked in here today, you'd be like, man, you'd hide the kids, get everyone out of the way. Saul is here. He's going to kill us and arrest us. And, and yet Saul, in the heart of God, that man is going to write half the New Testament. That man was savable. If we see people with the eyes of Christ, then you are savable. You are not so far from God today that if you acknowledge, you, but see, here's the barrier. You won't admit that you've sinned against a holy and a righteous God. You won't admit that your life is as bad as it's ever been. You won't admit that you need him. And I'm inviting you today to admit your sin before him, to admit your failures, to admit, you know, what, what we say in relationship to, oh, you know, we all make mistakes. And it's true. But we also all sin and fallen short of the glory of God. That's true. And God so loved you that he sent his only begotten son to die for you, to rescue you from this, this limited existence so that you might learn to trust him in the difficulties of your life with hope, with courage, with boldness, with a love that's unspeakable, with a joy that's experienced, with peace and to be patient, kind, gentle. That's all available to you in Christ. Submitting your life to him. We're all going to have the in-between times. We invite you to be in a place where you can wait, not only on the situation, but you can also now wait on the coming of your Savior who loves you. Church, I want to close with a couple of things before we go. These times of waiting on the Lord, waiting for God to show up, waiting for God to give us an answer, waiting for the open, closed doors, come to us all. And I read something from Elizabeth Elliot, the widow of the famous missionary Jim Elliot. He lost his life seeking to reach the lost. The very people that he went to minister to in the jungle turned on him and killed him. And Elizabeth writes, and I quote, it's a little long, so stick with me. When I went back to my jungle station after the death of my first husband, Jim Elliott, I was faced with many confusions and uncertainties. I had a good many new roles, besides that of being a single parent and a widow. I was alone on a jungle station that Jim and I had manned together. I had to learn to do all kinds of things, which I was not trained or prepared in any way to do. It was a great help to me simply to do the next thing. Have you had the experience of feeling as if you've got too far too many burdens to bear? Far too many people to take care of? Far too many things on your list to do? You just can't possibly do it? And you get in a panic? And you just want to sit down and collapse in a, pile, in a pile and feel sorry for yourself? Well, I felt that way a good many times in my life. And I go back over and over again to an old Saxon legend which I'm told is carved in an old English parsonage somewhere by the sea. I don't know where this is, but this is the poem that was written about the legend. The legend is called Do the Next Thing. The poem says, Do it immediately and do it with prayer. Do it reliantly, casting all care. Do it with reverence, tracing his hand, who placed it before thee with earnest command. Stayed on omnipotence, safe neath his wing. Leave all resultings and do the next thing. 
And this is a wonderfully saving truth. Just do the next thing, end quote. This ministered to me greatly in the last eight years of my life. There were days when I did sit there and feel sorry for myself. I wonder how many of you are in a similar place. And the Lord, the word of the Lord to you today is to get up. There's no progress sitting around feeling sorry for yourself. There's no progress for the kingdom. There's no help for your family. But there is healing from the Lord. And the way that she describes this was super... I mean, it was a, a, new fray, a new thing that I had never experienced before. And the way she explains it later on in the book is, she says, doing the next thing means if you need to wake up and get out of bed, then get out of bed. Do the next thing. Go take a shower. Put some clothes on. If you've got to go shopping, go shopping. If you need to do the dishes, do the dishes. But do the next thing. Get up and move forward. To continue to make progress. Just the small things. You're not going to solve the world's problems, but you can do the dishes. You're not going to solve the big, heavy things that are going on in your life. But you know what? You can go take a shower and go out and meet somebody for coffee. You can do the next thing. Elizabeth Elliot not only did her first husband die, but so did her second husband. And as she shares, she shares these words that are hard to receive sometimes. So reading books are really good because you let some author, you know, Elizabeth Elliot's in the presence of the Lord now, but she still speaks. And you can get mad at her for telling you that. So I'm not feeling sorry for myself. Well, you know what? Defensiveness is often the first sign that the Lord got something deep in your life. Otherwise, you know, if it doesn't touch you, why would you be defensive? But if it touches you, you're like, oh, no, no, stay away, stay away. And you got all these defense mechanisms to keep people at arm's length when the Lord says, no, just get up and do the next thing. Just get up and do the next thing. And the Lord will be faithful to meet you there. And so again, you're not waiting for the circumstance to be solved. You're waiting for the Lord. And people, we need you. We, we, you need to be in fellowship, but we need you in fellowship. We need you. We need you to be a part of the church. We need you for the words that God gives you. We need you to be there to ask to pray. We need you to be there with a smile. There may be a day I need you. I'll never tell you, but I need you to sing when I don't want to sing. When I just don't want to say those words. Because if I say those words, then I have to battle with, but I don't feel those words. You ever been there? Yes? No? But you're not there. If I'm there, but you're next to me, and you're singing so beautifully and so loud that's ministering your faith is ministering to my faithlessness. And it's just so good to be in the house of the Lord. I always leave more strengthened than I walk in. Would you turn over to John chapter 14, one last word from Jesus as you're waiting on the Lord. This is so beautiful. It's just a phraseology that's used here. John chapter 14, I'll read it to you from the New King James, but also from the New Living Translation. John 14, verse one. Think of it in light of your waiting. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also, and where I go, you know, and the way you know. Listen from the New Living. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, 
would I, would have I, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Let me read that again. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I'll come and get you so that, when, so that you will always be with me where I am and you know the way to where I'm going. That, that phrase just stuck out at me. Like Jesus is going, you can believe me because I'm going to tell it to you straight. I mean, listen, listen, if this were not so, like if I wasn't faithful, if things were hard, if, if it wasn't so, would I have told you otherwise? And really, it wasn't that question is, don't you trust me? I'm just going to pray faith into our church. I'm going to pray faith over your singleness. I'm going to pray faith over your grandkids. I'm going to pray faith over your marriages. I'm going to pray faith over your circumstances today. Because I know this. If you need to know something, Jesus will tell you. But what Jesus has said, he means it. Because if he meant something else, he would have said that. And he is utterly reliable and faithful in every way. And you can trust him today. So Father, I do pray faith over our church family today. I pray, God, faith into marriages. I pray faith into singleness. I pray faith over our kiddos and our grandkids, our great-grandkids. I, I pray faith into our church life that we indeed will be surrendered and submitted to you as we seek to infiltrate the broader community. We're not on a mission to convert anyone. We're on a mission of love and service and care. And we all need improvement in that area, God. Forgive us. Forgive us. The little things even get to us these days. When in, it really doesn't matter. And so God, let the things that matter to you matter to us, please. Open our eyes. Open our ears. And today, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to invite you to do that before we leave. That today would be the day you repent. You turn away from your sin and receive the forgiveness of God through his son, Jesus Christ. So if there's anyone here, you're here, you're downstairs, maybe in the overflow, I want, to, I want you to have a public acknowledgement of this decision you're making. So I'm going to ask you, if you're here and say, I want to follow Jesus today, would you just stand to your feet? I want to help you along that path. I want to help you in the first steps of repenting of your sins. God bless you right here. Who else would say, that's me? But today is the day. This is the turning point of your life. You know, it was once said that large doors turn on small hinges and so do large lives. They turn on small decisions. God bless you guys. Who else would say, that's me? We acknowledge anyone on, online right now. We don't see you, but doesn't matter. Standing, sitting, none of that matters. God sees you. And so I acknowledge you on the radio, on, on online, live, or watching at a later date. Doesn't matter. God's word is alive and powerful every time you hear it. Doesn't matter when it's delivered. And so I'll tell you what, hey, Gary, Gary, you come up over to this couple, and Roy, you can come over here, and are you going to have a personal uh, touch from a pastor and a leader? so that you know you're not alone. And so church, let's just pray with them. The Bible says to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. I want to help you with that. So you can ask God, God, forgive me of my sins. I believe that I need you in my life and I want to follow you. 
I turn away from my sinful past and I surrender and submit my life to you. Help me, God, to live my life to please you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.